And I'll lead us in a prayer. Um, God, I pray that you would help me to know what to even say about this subject that is so uh, near and dear to my heart. And I thank you for your word, and I pray that um, today that we can all be just more convicted about how precious and priceless it, it really is. Amen. When I was um, 20, I went back to church for the first time in many years. I've told my story many times. I'm not going to recount all of that except to say that when I was about six, my mom was diagnosed with pretty terminal heart disease, and for the next five years, we got to watch her go downhill. And there were four of us still home, and my dad lost it. He was, he was a mess anyway, but he lost it. And so uh, from the seventh grade on, uh, life was pretty hellish a lot of days. It was definitely very unpredictable, and it was just hard. And, and it was sometimes hard to enjoy the good times because it was so contaminated with when was that going to be ripped away from you. Going to college, my first year was, I was, uh, many of you won't appreciate this illustration, but I was like a little calf out of the lot. And if you've ever been on a farm and you see that and a calf's been pinned up, it will go and jump and, and, and that's how I was. Not in really a bad way beyond just the fact that I wasn't as focused as I needed to be. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I did well in school. But my second year, I fell into a very deep depression. Um, and I'd learned to hide it. Uh, we had to hide it. We couldn't express your feelings at home, and we had to hide our feelings. And so I'd learned to hide it. And I can't describe to you that year how tormented I was, uh, how absolutely miserable. Because in high school, uh, my brother Jack left home uh, he was a year ahead of me in school, and so I was home alone with my dad one year, and I was a veritable hostage. Um, I had no privileges. I was told everything to do, and, and he was a mess, and he played lots of mind games with me. So my life had become this quagmire of crazy. Um, but I, I kind of got through a lot of those hard times looking forward to leaving home. And so that first year... Um, I went to college, and just being able to stay up until 10 o'clock was uh, a treat to me because I was made to go to bed many nights at 8.30 or 9 um, because I bothered my dad, and I was horrendously lonely. Uh, this little house we lived in, I'd been the youngest of eight kids, so there'd been 10 of us in this house counting me, and I was alone, and my dad was depressed and a mess, and so that Sophomore year, though, I didn't have the hope of when I get out, when I leave home. And I'm faced with this, is this my life? And, and I was made to kind of start searching for meaning, but I, with what I had been through and where I was, my little pitiful country boy knowledge of Scripture, I didn't know anything. And probably what I did know was more dangerous than it was helpful because I'd come from a very conservative, fundamentalist little church when we got to go. Uh, 
And so I couldn't remember much. I didn't have a Bible. I'd never owned a Bible. Uh, didn't know where you got a Bible. That's how naive I was in, in some ways. But all I knew to do is go to church. And I went back to the church that we had kind of grown up in because that's where Jack was going with his now wife. And um, up to that point, I'd resisted going because I felt like it would be hypocritical to go because I had lost my faith. But starting my junior year, I finally broke down and went to church. Um, I can't say that the next six or eight months were easy because I was a closet unbeliever being accepted as a believer. And I didn't even know how to communicate. I didn't know the religious language. And there was no one to kind of come grab your hand and just kind of walk you through it. There was no focus on Jesus. There was nobody to come up and say, how are you, son? You know, what do you need? And there was nobody to ask me about my life. So I was a chemistry major, and I was a good student, and I... I kept myself up okay, so suddenly I was just promoted into all of this leadership, and I did not know how not to do it, um, and so I just kind of accepted what was going on, and so the next year in a very Christian world was very tumultuous to me. It was very difficult, and I was looking for somebody to tell my story to because I was alone with a very hellish heart very torn apart um, in so many ways. And when I finally got a Bible and just started reading it, as Brandon talked about, just reading it, something very powerful happened within me. And I fell in love with God. I came to believe not really for scientific reasons, although I needed to get over that hurdle. Um, my biggest problem was trusting anybody. Just trusting anybody. And I, I read differently than I'd ever read because I'd not been in it for a long time. And on one hand, I was hearing a pretty conservative, even fundamentalist view of Scripture. But as I read huge swaths of Scripture... <clears throat> Something changed. And I remember going to a little devotional, probably the second time I went. I heard this psalm. And my heart melted. And it's been one of those little theme songs for me all along. It's from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb.
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is my servant warned. Is thy servant warned? And in keeping them, there is great reward. I love the word of God. God was good to me and just gave me some gifts. And there was a preacher, a big, tall, red-headed preacher named Brent Adams that I heard at church who would use 20 or 30 or 40 verses in his sermons and quote most of them. And I decided I want to be like that. I want to know God's word. And God gave me a gift for remembering scripture. It's a spiritual gift. Listen to these scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? 
by living according to your word. Verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Verse 133, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord give wis gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Isaiah 55, beginning verse 10, as the rain and snow comes down from heaven and does not return to it without watering the earth and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that comes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I sent it for. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. John 8, 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 12, 48, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. Now, I could go on and those that know scripture know that I could go on. And everybody that knows me knows I could go on. <laughs> but they asked me to talk about ministering the word to one another. I learned very early on that if I just spoke scripture, I spoke wisdom. Even if I didn't understand it, sharing God's word with people. Now I... I have a minor in education and psychology. My first degree was in chemistry. And then I got a master's degree that was called a Master of Behavioral Studies, and I studied more. And this was a secular degree. And so my psychology um, was all secular. And there were some challenges to understanding. Again, Brandon brought that up. And didn't Brandon do a great job today? That was just an awesome sermon. And, and I really want to say, Brandon is a product of this. He grew up in it. I went back and was talking to Mark and Sini, who were some of the founding members of all this. And, and I said something to them about that, and they had tears in their eyes. And I had tears in my eyes, and I said, we did it. By the power of God, we did it. When we started this, we felt what God wanted to do. I had a very powerful calling. We felt it. But now we see it in you. And guys, this is the power of the word. We're a church built on the word of God. From the beginning to the core, 
Everything passes through a sieve of Scripture, and we've worked very hard to learn how to rightly handle the Word of Truth, and we have no illusions we've arrived. But we know the journey we're on. We know what we're doing, and that's what we're going to keep doing, and that's the legacy we want to hand you. Not terminal church, but church to perpetuity. The church through the years over the generations, has been fairly terminal. Churches come and they spring up and they die. We want to be a church that continues on to the coming of Christ, that doesn't build limitations on you, but builds platforms for you, that gives you shoulders to stand on to move forward. And that's the challenge that you have of taking this forward. But it always has to be a ministry of the Word. And I think you can see what can happen if you just have a little bit of faith in what you saw even in Brandon this morning. So how do we minister the word to one another? Well, number one, you've got to learn it. You know, I've told a lot of people who have gotten degrees and other things that kind of, I say a lot, a number of people I've had this conversation with, that we're going to go take some science classes and redirect uh, you need to really understand there are no guess answers in science class. And there's going to be a whole lot of memorization. A whole, whole lot of memorization. But you know, we wouldn't want to go to our doctor, would we? And we show him something and he said, well, what's that body part called? <laughs> so I've got this pain here. What do you... What do you think that is? You think it's a bone there or a muscle? You know the name of it? I can probably look it up and get you some medicine for it if you can tell me the name of it. Or you go in and they say, well, I, you know, just looking at you, I think you've got this. And you look up on the wall and say they have a psychology degree. Uh, I think I'll go home. Guys, some of what we do, though, is malpractice. When we misuse the Word of God, we don't rightly handle it. It's malpractice. You are not going to be someone that ministers the Word being lazy. Can you quote more things from the office than you can from the Scripture? Do you know more movie quotes than you know scriptures? You know what I'm talking about. Out of the overflow of the heart, their mouth speaks. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Whoever does evil hates the light is not going to come into the light because their deeds will be exposed. But whoever does what is right comes into the light so that it may be seen clearly that what they've done has been done through God. That's a scripture that follows John 3, 16. Go down to about verse 19 and you'll see it. You see, there's power in that. Jesus said that. The truth gets no more core and no more raw than when you quote Jesus. But 
How do you do that? Well, if you take anatomy and physiology, Jordy was telling me about being in anatomy and physiology. Uh, how many have had anatomy and physiology? About how many hours did you spend memorizing? 20 a week. Huh? 20 a week, she's saying. And you know, she's not trying to exaggerate here. That's why it was never fair to me for us to compete for GPAs with other degrees. Because some of those classes literally would take 15 or 20 hours a week just to keep your head above the water. And you were competing with some of the best students in the school. And often those wonderful teachers would grade on a straight curve. So you had to compete with all of those wonderful students. But we come to the Bible helplessly. We're going we're to learn what we need to learn to fix teeth or to fix bodies or to fix glasses or to fill prescriptions and go study pharmacy if you want to memorize a little bit and just think about all the drugs pharmacists have to memorize and how many different names there are for each one. Thousands. And they have to know them. And most of the time, they don't have time to look them up. And you really don't want them having to look it up. Right? But we come to what will save the world, what in keeping them their great reward. You see, I did not learn Christian psychology in a psychology class. I learned it living it. As God transformed me and changed me, you have to immerse yourself in the Word of God. Ask God to help you remember it. Now, I have an advantage over most of you. I can... I want to say something I'll probably get in trouble for, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> you know, I've been reading the Old Testament prophets, and it, may, it kind of makes me coarser. When God tells a nation, I'm going to pull your skirt up and expose your shame. And I'm, well, that's a visual. Put yourself <laughs> in that scene, Garrett. Like, whoa. You know, we don't want to fake our way through this. We want to share the word, but I can get by with it because I started with the King James Version. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall, ye, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto thee abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> and you don't either. So I can quote it and you're going, oh, that sounds really intelligent. <laughs> but I had to move away from that when I started reaching out to some athletes and a lot of them came from the inner city and they did not speak King James and I didn't even speak their language. Um, and they loved that they talked over my head in their language sometime. So I started using the Revised Standard Version. 
There weren't a lot of these versions out. And when the New International Version came out, I got that. And now they've revised it multiple times. So I can quote scriptures and you don't have a clue which one I'm quoting out of. And the reality is it's all of them. Now you can't get by with that. But guys, honestly, the word of God is not a human translation. It's the message that underlies that translation. You can get the words and not get the word at all. But you've got to immerse yourself in it. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. What does that mean? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It sounds to me like what we see in the psalm, perhaps written by David or written to David, but written in the spirit of David, who was a man after God's own heart, when he said in Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your words in my heart. I remember reading a story about the war in Vietnam and the prisoners, all these young men that went there from Christian homes and they became prisoners of war. And they were talking about how priceless verses became. They would carve whatever verse they could remember, and most of them knew little to none, and they would share whatever little pieces of verses that they could remember with each other. You see, sharing pop psychology in those moments, that's too temporary. It's too human. But sharing the Word of God has an inherent power to it because it is indeed the sword of the Spirit. Having studied science in college really helped me. You know, with this learning the Word, I already had a mind to memorize. And... My two best friends liked to memorize. One of them became a doctor, and so he was studying alongside me in all these classes. And we used to quote scripture to each other. And we were, you know, we were being arrogant zealots a lot of times, but we would quote new verses and, and we'd have to guess where it was. <laughs> or, we would, or we would just cite a reference and they had to try to tell what it was. Or we would... We would at, present a subject, and they would have to tell a scripture on it. And we used to do that. We would drive around and do that. And we were just playing because I became a Christian, and then I got my roommate, who was not my roommate at the time, to go with me, and I got to baptize him in the Christ, into Christ sometime later. And we, we worked together. In fact, for two years... David and I worked together, we lived together, and we went to church together, and we went to college together. We spent more time together than, you know, married couples ever get to spend time together. But the influence there was very powerful, and the bond that we built is very powerful, and it was built on the Word, and we didn't always handle it well, but we learned the Word You've got, to, you've got to memorize it. You know, I, I use a ton of scriptures. I, I use the more I can, the better. That's why Brandon said, you need to tell people you're quoting because it's just for whatever you want to talk about. 
Whatever you want to talk about, there's scriptures on it. The, the Bible is very practical. And sometimes it's kind of insulting. You know, God gave me a spirit of the prophets. And a lot of times that, a lot of people didn't like it. They thought I was being mean. They hadn't read the prophets. Of late, I've been, I started the first of the year to do my read through the Bible that I do every two or three or four years. And, and then I started reading and listening as I went through. And then I would just catch myself just listening. I never listened through the Bible. It's a very different experience, and now I'm listening through the Bible. It's a very dangerous thing for me to listen through the false prophets because I just want to kind of let loose on some things about our society. I'm going to do that in Denton tomorrow, Brad, because I am... Now, what am I doing? Casting some serious shade. (laughs) And it's on your generation. So if you're sensitive and you need a safe room, you probably shouldn't come. I think I just did, wasn't that casting some shade when I said, and you need a safe room? I think that's why I was trying to get out there a little bit, to insult you just a little bit without actually insulting you. But you were insulted. One of the things that I did that helped me the most was, you know, these Bibles, they've got these white pages that are just kind of trim pages. And I started with scriptures. Anytime I would learn a scripture, like on depression, there's one. I was battling depression, and I just really figured it out in psychology classes that I was battling it, and my family really battled with it. And, and, I, and I had a little bit of PTSD, which I didn't understand what it was at the time from growing up. I would wake up in the middle of the night just really anxious. I still do that. And it's just kind of like something horrible is wrong. It's an awful, awful feeling. For those that struggle with anxiety, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And depression, it's just an awful feeling. And you feel crazy because you know, everything's fine, but it doesn't feel fine. I've told before at Garland that the number one sign of my symptom of depression is I just feel like the world would be better off without me. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. But there's something deep inside of me that Satan presses that says, no, they'd be better off without you. That's not a good feeling, you know, and it's a lie. But nonetheless, so if I found something on depression, I would write depression and I would write that verse under it. And every time I saw something in the scripture that I thought kind of applied to depression or ministered to it, I would write that verse under it. So I had long lists of scriptures. And on the ones that I used a lot, I chained them in my Bible. So that there's the first verse, but at that verse, I would go to that scripture and out in the margin, I'd write that next verse. And then I would go to that verse and I'd take the third verse and I would write that reference by the third one. So that however many I had were chained through my scripture. So all I had to do is remember the first scripture and then I could take somebody through however many scriptures I needed to. And if I I couldn't remember what it was, I would write just a word or two of what that scripture was about something that would trigger me to think about that. 
And I did that with all kinds of verses. And so that I, I learned to use the word. Now, guys, I have learned a whole lot more over the years about using the word. And we don't teach you some of the things that I learned. We did a lot of proof texting. You want to argue about where, whether instrumental music is wrong or not? I know every verse that could possibly be stretched to have anything to do with that stupid subject. <laughs> but where I was, it was a condition of salvation. You want to know why we do the Lord's Supper and how we do I know every verse on it. Oh, water baptism. Sirach loves to tease me about water baptism. My little Baptist boyfriend. I know every verse on water baptism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, they were proof texts. And if you know what I mean by that, you kind of lift those out and use them for something that probably aren't intended to be used for, especially to chop somebody up with them. You know what I'm saying? But nonetheless, I learned the Bible. And I used the Bible. Now, we're, we're not really in vogue in the fast-growing churches because when was the last time you heard somebody say, well, I go to this church because they read the Scripture a lot? No, it's I like the music. I like the pastor. Well, how many verses does he use in his sermon? And what's the point of it? Again, I'm not trying to cast dispersion here. I'm just trying to say we get our values wrong. So the first thing I would say, you need to learn it, and I would challenge you, if you don't, especially you young people, start making a collection of scriptures. And it doesn't have to be one verse. It can be a whole chapter, a whole text. Because again, Philippians 4, 4 to 13, if you're going to minister to people with depression and anxiety, people that live in a tumultuous world, you need to know that passage. That's what they're reading. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. You see, it's powerful. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It has a life of its own. And when you send it out, that's what he's saying. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that comes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish the purpose for when I, which I sent it. And guys, you know, he tells us the purpose. You will go out in joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song for you. The trees will clap for you. There are not going to be thorn bushes in your way. It's going to be the junipers. No more thorny things. These beautiful myrtles are going to grow in your world and bloom constantly. See, that's what we do. That's why Peter says, if any man speaks, let him speak the word of God. That's why Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And the point is, if you just quote scripture, you're going to be quoting wisdom. Listen, the best way to memorize scripture is to read it and teach it. Tell each other, just share it. 
When you're in your time and you read something, write it down and say, tell, talk to your friends, share your verses with each other. I read something this morning. I love that. I love that when the, the brothers I get with share verses with me. You know, Tom shares my love of scripture and he's more self-righteous about knowing it than I am. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, we love the Bible and, and we kind of come from some similar roots. So sharing things is so powerful. The second thing with that is lead with it. Speak from and for Christ. I'm old school. I love stories, but, but there's a point. There's an idea. There's a lesson. As Brandon said, sometimes there's no application out here, but there's always a meaning. There's always a movement that it's getting at. And we need to, to figure that out. The Bible is one big story. It's the divine narrative. But in the end, the story is about the truth, the truth, Jesus, the truth. The stories must not just inspire us. They must teach us. Do not be hearers of the word only. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the, the, the rains came and the storms beat on it. The rain fell, the wind blew, but it did not fall because it was established on the rock. Do you hear that? Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's not enough just to memorize it. Do what it says. And sometimes that's hard to figure out. You're not going to do that by osmosis. You're going to have to learn it. You have to get to know him. That's, guys, that's why focus on Jesus is just a tool for you. You need to add verses to that. You need to learn and you need to look beyond that. And you need to ask questions about it. I remember teaching little Bible studies that I was given and I was patently teaching things that were not right. But I will tell you, I did what I'm telling you to do. I questioned them and I changed it. Much to the chagrin of a lot of people and much cost behind it. I changed it. And I've tried to hand that to you. Discovering Jesus. Many people think you know what's in it. If you've not seen that book I wrote, I took a lifetime of teaching people how to discover Jesus and put it in a workbook. Put it in a workbook. And it's got hundreds and hundreds of scriptures in it. People come and say, do you, do you have anything on the Holy Spirit? Yeah, discovering Jesus has a chapter on it. Do you have anything on sin? Yeah, discovering Jesus has a whole chapter on it. Is there any way I can just kind of study the story of the Bible? Yeah, discovering Jesus has a whole chapter on it. What about encountering Jesus? There's a whole chapter on it. Being a disciple, there's a whole chapter on it. How to be saved, there's a whole chapter on it. Organization and mission of the church, there's a whole chapter on it exhaustive verses on so many of these things. We put tools out there and guys, you've got access to it, but you're drowning in it rather than using it. Lead with it. Jesus is Lord. Make sure that what you're directing people to is Jesus because the false prophets lead you to them. The true prophets lead you to him. And as I tell the apprentices, that rhymes in Oklahoma. Oklahoma.
You just got it. <laughs> I'm starving and you're still talking. I'm almost through. Titus 2.15, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Um, I, I have people get offended. I've had people accuse me for raising my voice to them, for being angry. Well, you know, most people have never really seen me angry. Um, I, I'm pretty good at controlling it. I do have to deal with anger. I grew up under one of the angriest humans you will ever, ever meet. And you just have to deal with it. It's just kind of in your psyche. But I don't, I don't let anger rule my life. But I've been commanded to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Everybody loves encouragement. And that's why so many preachers learn to dole it out. But nobody likes to be corrected. And so many people in our society, if you correct them, they leave. They just leave. And if you rebuke them, they'll accuse you of gross sin. But let me tell you, as leaders, especially as appointed leaders, both by God and the church, I have a job to do. And sometimes when the church is being lukewarm or deadbeat or resistant, it's my job to rebuke. And sometimes when you're positioned with people, it's your job. And they're not going to like it. But who are you pleasing here? What's your goal? I'm not trying to be mean. That's what Paul said. Preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. But listen to this. With great patience. Guys, that's why we're fine with you. You get in focus on Jesus and you've got those six-month studies. We do want you to make progress, but we're just trying to get you in the study. Discovering Jesus John, how long did we discover, did we study discovering Jesus? Yeah, eight or 10 months. And this young man, guys, when he was 22 and 23, right out of college, the father of one, working 40 hours a week, met me two mornings a week at 6 a.m. to study the Bible. And we pretty much studied two hours each time. See, do that. There's a reason he is where he is. There's a reason he knows what he knows. But you can't let people look down on you. You need to preach the word and don't back down from it. So it's simple. You got to learn it. You need to lead with it. And you need to love it. I've stored up your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. We're going to take a few minutes before lunch. John's going to come up and give instructions. Here are your two questions for your little groups of two or three. Number one, what are two things that you're going to commit to to do ministry better with the Word? Are you going to index this? Are you going to start memorizing Scripture? Or are you going to start reading Scripture every day? What are you going to do? Do something. Everyone in here ought to have something. What can I do? For some of you, it's going to be marginal. You've been doing it already. This is what you do. But you can always do better. You can always do more and more. We can just, and that's the beauty of growing in Christ. What are two things? Not one, two. 
And number two, how and why does ministering the word, ministering with the word, get so much better results than just mere talk? When you minister with the word, why does it get better results? So write those down. God, I pray that you minister the word into the hearts of each person here, that you would bring to mind things in each person here that only your spirit can, and that you prompt us where we are as only you know, and that you inspire us, that you challenge us, that you convict us, and that you be the fire in our heart. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.